Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake, and welcome to Eastlake Online. For those of you watching online or on replay, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for being here in person. For those of you who made it here, today we are on part two of a series called This Time Around. We kicked off a brand new series last week. Uh, and if you're a first-time guest, you picked a great day to come check us out. But if you want to catch up on the conversation because you missed last week or uh, I go through something a little too fast, uh, you can always download the app or go to eastlaketricity.com slash talks and follow along. But the series called This Time Around being this time around the sun, this new year. Every, every, this is a season in which we are kind of doing evaluations of our life and trying to do things a little bit better and maybe eating a little better, maybe going to the gym a little bit more, uh, maybe making some just life decisions in January to be like, this is a fresh start. Uh, this is crappy weather, so good time to do it. I'm not missing out on anything in the summer. I'm trying to build up to that summer bod. I'm trying to build up to that, that image or whatever. So uh, good season for that. Or perhaps this time around uh, could be this time a, a little bit more particular, not just in general that, but like maybe you're entering into a, a, a second marriage or a second season or, um, you know, new job, a different, a career shift. Um, uh, you, you're now raising kids again, like you just had another kid and you're saying the first kid was fine, but this kid, this time around, it's going to be better um, in terms of parenting uh, or foster parenting or uh, step parenting or something like that. This time around, there's, all, there's always kind of seasons that call us into this sort of thing. A good time to take some introspective looks at our life and to make some changes and some evaluations. And a lot of times, sometimes those things are, are have to do with resolutions. And so at New Year's time, we do resolutions. I'm going to try better to do something. Um, but resolve is something a little bit deeper. It's something we said is a, a little bit more. When you resolve to do something, you're deciding that this is going to be what it's going to take. Um, it's going to be oftentimes a heightened sense of effort. Um, we said that there, there are basically two parts to this, a heightened sense of effort in, in terms of I, I this is going to require me to say no to some things that are good in order to say yes to something that's great, right? Um, I, I'm, it's going to take a, a, a level of effort that, that is going to be a change in our finances or my personal finances or my time. I'm, it, this is going to require a, an immense amount of my time. So I'm going to have to say no to Netflix and other things and focus in on this. That, that takes a sense of resolve. And then, then you also have to question or couple that with this idea of, is this worth it? I would hate for you to give, to resolve on something that's not worthy of something to be resolving about, right? I would hate for you to be like, I'm so committed to this. And everybody's like, that's not a good thing to be committed to, bro. I mean, like, it's fine, but um, I want, I want when, you, when you go into a level of resolve, I want it to be something that you look back on a year from now, five years from now, and be like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I resolved in this area to do this time around a little bit better. I, I want you to be thankful for it five, 10 years down the road. And I want it to have an impact on your life rather than just something trivial. It's not trivial. Trivial is 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 fine for resolutions. It's not good for resolve. Resolve requires something more. Um, I also said uh, in, in last week's talk that um, there's an analogy that uh, an author had used called the, the second mountain. Uh, his name is David Brooks. He's a New York Times op-ed guy. And in his book, he says that we, we go through life chasing one of two mountains. The first mountain is what we typically think of when it comes to success. 
It's the mountain that we are uh, raised up in, in to think like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb up the ladder at work. I'm going to get the titles. I'm going to get the money. I'm going to get the house. I'm going to get uh, the spouse that I've wanted. I'm going to get the life, the Instagram life that I want. Um, and, and some sort of a look with that. And then we get it and, and, and we go, is this all there is? Or we get knocked off the mountain um, because of tragedy, uh, loss of a job, loss of a, a marriage, loss of uh, a, a child or, or something like that. And it's, it's just like, oh man, I'm off that mountain. And what presents itself is an opportunity to go up a second mountain, which is not anti the first one. It's just different than the, 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 the other one. It has to do more with humility. It has to do more with self-awareness. It has to do more uh, with giving myself away. And uh, it's a more fulfilling mountain for sure. Uh, and it's not anti-money. It's not anti-wealth. It's not anti, you know, making a name for yourself. It's not like you can't be somebody significant at work on the second mountain, but it just doesn't mean as much. You know, there's, there's other things. There are more important things to give my life to than that. You, you have correct prioritization of some of the values in life, right? Uh, you're more clear on this. And here's, here's what he has to say in, in like this quote to kind of set the tone for resolve for us. He says, when I'm describing how second mountain people live, what I'm really describing is how these people made maximal commitments or in the terminology for our series, they decided to resolve to do this, to resolve commitment or maximal commitments, resolve to help others and how they live them out in fervent, all in ways. These people are not keeping their options open. They live in such a way that this is so valuable and so important and so worthy of my efforts. I'm not leaving options on the table. I'm going to resolve to make this one work, to make this marriage work. I'm going to resolve to raise these kids in a certain way that's going to be costly. It's going to, be, it's going to cost me a lot of time and perhaps money to be able to be there for them in the way that they need me to be there for them. And I'm probably going to have to say no to some things at work that are going to pull me away from family life because I'm so committed. And I've resolved to raise my kids a certain way. That, that, that kind of the level of resolve. That's a second mountain type of person. So um, this happens on a personal level. It also happens on a corporate level. Um, uh, and there are going to be some issues, some areas of resolve. And so the question I had for you was what area in your life do you need re resolve for? Um, I, I, from, you know, this sort of setting when I have to be general, cause I'm talking to a large crowd of, uh, of people, um, I can't get into specifics of what, what yours might be, but hopefully you have, you're smart. You can figure this out. You can say, okay, if this works over here, then for my life and my situation with what I'm going through with, with my relationships, this is my, my area of resolve, but it also happens on a corporate level. And as a church, uh, I feel like going into a new year uh, is a good time for me to kind of set a tone or or decide or focus my attention and my efforts and the efforts of our church leadership team on a few different areas. We've done this in the past with other things. And for this year, the matters of resolve for East Lake Tri-Cities in 2023 are this. I want to do everything that I can do to help you find your people, to help you grow spiritually, and to help you make a difference to find your people, to grow spiritually and make a difference. Now, I'm gonna walk through these week by week. We're gonna, this, there's three weeks left in the series, one, two, three, you can kind of do the math on that and figure out how to make this work. And uh, before you jump to conclusions on like growing spiritually, I think that that's gonna be a little bit differently, you know, work out differently than perhaps the church that you grew up with or the spirituality that you're familiar with or whatever. Uh, and and, and I, I hope that you'll be a part of this and at least hear me out on it. If you're not an East Lake or if, if East Lake's not home for you, this is like free past Sunday. You get to see and decide and pick what you like and don't like and, and leave the rest. That's easy. Uh, but for, for those of you who do call East Lake home, just, you know, I'm going to be harping on this for a little while and you're going to be so sick of it by 2024. You're be like, give us a new one, man, because we are, we've done it. We found our people. We, we are, we're growing spiritually and, and we're making a difference uh, in the world. And I, I think that we, I think that we'll look back on that. If we 
dedicate a level of resolve to that. I think we'll look back on that and be thankful that we did. So today, find your people. Finding your people. Uh, something happened this last week, uh, last maybe maybe two weeks ago. I'm a little bit behind the times. I'm not always current with events, but a book came out that kind of is sending shockwaves into the world. Uh, it's a book by Prince Harry, and it's called Spare, and it's about life behind the the the, the facade of the uh, the, the British. Uh, monarchy a little bit, right? He's got the older brother who's in line to be king. He's got the the famous mom who passed away in a car accident. He's got the dad that nobody seems to like, but everybody calls him king anyways. Um, so there's there's all kinds of stuff, and we we love this this thing. I, I'm not I haven't read it. Full confession, I haven't read it. I really don't have plans to. But that doesn't mean it won't be a bestseller because that doesn't you know I don't always line up in that way. But it will be. I mean, it's on shelves everywhere. You go, you're gonna see this face staring out at you uh, because why? Because we are obsessed. With, with, read, with, with reading about people who are supposed to have it all together, who pull back the curtain and be like, hey, my life's not, all, you know, things aren't as great as they seem over here. We love that. We, 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 in, in, we, we can't wait. The, the, like the British family, the whole, the whole monarchy thing, like they have one job to keep it together. And if they can't do that, then let's read about it. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's get on this. So I'm not even going to ask you if you've read it or have plans to read it. But um, the, the, the truth is that this is true for us, that the most... Uh, most well-attended, this happens in church too. Um, and I've seen this in, in churches where something happens with the, um, with the pastor and there's like some sort of a moral failure or something like that. And the board sends out an email to the entire church. It's like, hey, just so you know, uh, we're gonna be talking about Brent and Kylie this Sunday and, and we've got a big announcement to make. You know, that's the most well-attended Sunday of the year. It's crazy. It's, it's a terrible way. It's a great way to draw a crowd, terrible way to grow a church. But it's the reality is uh, it, 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 like that kind of a thing spreads and everybody's like, oh man, somebody who was supposed to have it all together didn't have it all together. Where's my popcorn? How do we do this? Let's make this thing happen, right? So we are obsessed with that sort of thing. Uh, and the reality is though, uh, in, in scenarios like Prince Harry or in so many things, um, the reason that we get to that spot is because some, somebody in that situation probably got sick of pretending. Either they got caught or they got sick of pretending, right? I, I, don't, I haven't read the book, but I'm assuming there's parts of it. And he's like, it wasn't as great as it always as it appeared to be. And it never is, right? But we have become really good pretenders. We, we, we put on a face, we put on a good thing. You put on a face. There were some people who was fighting in the car on the way in. Now, I'm not gonna point them out. I don't care, it doesn't matter. But you've put on a great face and you're here and you're, you're holding the hand, you're elbowing the person right now, being like, did you tell him? Did you say anything to him? Um, or or you, you're yelling at your kids. And the moment you got, you put the car in park, you're like, we're not yelling anymore, right? We're going inside, everybody act nice, right? And we're going to church and and good, good for you. Like, like that's, that's understandable, I get it. You do this at work, I do this. Uh, all the time too. You need to do this at work. You need you. You know we pretend to kind of get a job and keep a job. We pretend to be able to make friends and keep friends, or get into a relationship or stay in a relationship. So, uh, in, a, in in a sense, we're always doing some of this sort of image manufacturing uh, in this way, and and yet we love it when somebody's somebody messes up or somebody fails, and we can't wait to read the book or celebrate uh, this sort of deal. And and I have this in. You know, I mentioned that we all do this to some degree, but I have this in an extreme case as your pastor, right? Uh, and I, I have to, I have to present something to you, and I have to keep it all together. And I kind of blame it on you. It's kind of your fault that I have to do this, and because, um, and I'm not, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like you want something from your pastor that's 
that's that's all together, right? And it's never it's never not on. It's always I'm I'm not your pastor on Sundays. I'm 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 your pastor. You've never sh- seen me at Costco and thought, oh, there's our pastor. Oh, it's Friday. He's not our pastor today. He's just Brent today. It's always on, right? So in in, in positions like mine, it happens uh, constantly and consistently. Um, and uh, and you know, without saying the words, you would say, Brent, we need you to have it all together. Listen. Because we don't have it all together and we need somebody to tell us how to have it all together. And so you have to kind of at least have the appearance of having it all together. Because if you don't have it all together, then I'm not going to listen to you. So you need to have it all together, right? Imagine if I had come up here and said, all right, we're going to start a new series. It's going to be a series on self-control. And before I get started, I just want to say thanks to the elders for sending a car last night to come pick me up and get me home safely. Because, man, I really, you know, needed that, right? You'd be like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Which is why I don't call the elders when that takes place. Like <laughs> other people. So, um uh, the, that, that's just a reality of it for us. Um, most of us have gaps between where we are or what we want to be and what we actually are, right? Um, and sometimes the gaps are big, sometimes they're small, sometimes we're really good at hiding them, sometimes we're not as good at hiding them, but for the most part, we have gaps, we know what they are, and probably our significant no- other knows what they are, and they remind us what they are a lot of times. Um, and, uh, and yet we're kind of managing this uh, all the time, and, and, and it's good. It's fine to have them, because that means that you're just a work in progress, like we all are. There's a sense of humility that comes along with us, and it's a, it's a like part and parcel of the gospel to know that I'm not exactly who I should be. I don't do all the things that I know I should do, and I find myself doing the things I know I shouldn't, as Paul would write. Um, so we, we, we do have these gaps, and, and it's, it's, when you don't think that you have gaps, then you find yourself having nothing to work on, and that's not really true at all. So um, we have them. We do, we do a great job of, of, of covering them up, but the reality is that we, we need to have people in our life who know those gaps and love us in spite of them. We all want to be somebody, but we need to be known by somebody too, right? You want to be somebody, but you need to be known by somebody's uh, as well. Uh, we we need to have this. Here's what every parent of every high school student knows: that there is a there is a, a drawnness that comes to people who accept our kids. Uh, that that we um, that that our our students. Let me let me say it this way: our students are drawn towards people who accept them, whether those people are healthy for them or not. Right? Your your junior high, your high school students, if you have them. They are going to be drawn towards people who accept them for who they are, regardless of whether that relationship is good for them or not. And that's true for us as well. We are acceptance addicts. We find people who will love and acceptance for who we are, and we're drawn. This is why um, AA is so successful. This is why recovery groups are, are so su- successful. This is why those kind of care groups, so when, they, when people come and be like, hi, my name's so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, uh, I'm an addict and I got this, and they're like, welcome, you're in good company. We accept you as you are. You're like, these people are real, right? And perhaps they're real because you feel like you can be real. Like perhaps for the first time or first time in a long time, you get to drop some of the pretense and actually get to be real in those moments. So I think that that thing inside of you that is so drawn towards, and you would say things like, these people are authentic, they're real, this this situation. And again, we try and make this church be that too, right? If you go into some of our bathroom stalls, you'll see this um, sign that has this poster that we put up that says, hey, have we caught you at a good time? It's a urinal joke. So yeah, uh, we say uh, stuff like, you know, you got, we got 20 seconds of your undivided attention, hopefully. Put your phone down, that kind of thing. And then we say uh, something like, we want, we're a church where people don't typically like church. We don't care what you did on Saturday night, what your activities included or did not include. We think you'd be welcome here. What are we trying to communicate? 
acceptance. Like you can be here. I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a certain bar. You know, you have a certain level of moral authority to be able to attend here. Um, our bar is incredibly low. Even 49ers fans. We, we, <laughs> uh, it's really close. Like we, there's some discernment there that we have to operate with, but to a certain degree, and my best friend's here, he's a 49ers fan and he's, his head's as big as the freaking moon right now. So it's fine. Whatever. Um, Anyways, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm so angry about the game. So, <laughs> no. Um, so we 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 crave this authenticity. We want it. We need it. And I think I think that that in you is not a flaw uh, or a shortcoming. I think that you and I were created by God in that way, because when we truly understand His nature. He accepts us in spite of our gaps. And so we were designed that way to be drawn towards him. So the reason that we find it in the everyday, the reason that we're so drawn to people who accept us as we are is because God created us that way. Now, perhaps we were brought up in a way to think that God only accepts us when we're doing good. And so we try and do good. And, and then, and then, but that's a, that's a flawed misunderstanding of a God who's crazy about you regardless, right? Uh, the, the gospel, the, the, the kind of God that we see presented in the New Testament, the kind of God that is epitomized through the person of Jesus, who was supposed to be the clearest picture of God that we could possibly have is God who loves and accepts no matter what. Now, loves us too much to leave us in our mess, calls us to, to different things, but absolutely. The reason that we're drawn to that is because that's, if we can understand the true nature of God, an invitation that we get to, to, to experience him and his goodness towards us. And so it's not a flaw uh, in us. It's just a reality for where we're at. Now, the New Testament has plenty to say about this kind of stuff. We're going to look at a couple of verses. We're going to look at them um, from three different writers or three different authors in the New Testament. First one's going to be James, then Paul, and then whoever wrote Hebrews uh, is going to be the last one. So uh, James, uh, in, in the book of James, talks about community. He's uh, um, church tradition would say he's probably the brother of Jesus, uh, like a famous brother, famous mother, that kind of thing. Um, he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So when the church, you know, when Jesus uh, died, rose again, and then kind of told his disciples to go into all the world, uh, some of them went into all the world. Some of them went home and in, in, into their neighborhoods. And, and James was one of those people who like, I'm going to start a church, but it's going to be right here. Uh, and so he operated in, in, in Jerusalem, which was a kind of a dangerous place to do church. It was oftentimes safer for Paul and some of the other outlying Roman areas to be able to do church because they didn't really care. Jerusalem, you had kind of Jewish pushback and all kind of stuff, but um, dangerous place to do church. And he he's writes a letter to his church. Uh, and, and it's captured for us and kind of circulated around with all the different churches that thought it might be valuable for us. And so that's why we get the letter of James in the New Testament. Um, and it's an interesting letter, a lot of times focused on kind of workspace sort of things, do this, do this, do this, very, very um, practical, like this is a, a good way to do life sort of thing. And in it, he talks about community and he talks about, and, and, and for, just keep in mind, the Jerusalem church at this time is probably 15, 20 people in home groups, like meeting in homes, not in buildings. They wouldn't ever, they wouldn't have church buildings. They would meet on Sunday mornings oftentimes because that was considered to be the Lord's day, right? Um, Sabbath would have been Friday night to Saturday all day. And then this would have, Sunday would have been a work day. They would gather together before work. Um, they would probably share a meal together as in breakfast probably 
Galilee. They would sing a song, a song that was probably rich in theology, talking about Christ and who he was. We see some of those Psalms come through in Philippians and some of the other writings of Colossians and whatever. Uh, and then they would encourage one another to go off and, and be good Christians, be good Christ-like followers, uh, be good employees, not cheat, not lie, don't steal, stay uh, married to your husband or wife or whatever. Um, and, and so that would be the kind of encouragement that they would have. So in James chapter five, here's what he says in verse 16. To his church, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other. As in one of the core practices of the church should be get together, confess your sins to one another, which is ironic because if I had said right now, hey, in, in, you know, in that little video that we just showed, hey, you got 20 seconds to turn to somebody you didn't drive with. If I said that right right now, hey, turn to somebody you didn't drive We're gonna do this right now. Turn to somebody you didn't drive with and just confess your sins one to another. There'd be half of you that'd be like, nope, I'm out. And then the other half would be quickly thinking of things that are like sins, but like not the bad ones. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I, uh, I said some harsh things to my wife. I left the toilet seat up. I did something, uh, something along these lines where you're like, I'll confess, but I'm not really revealing anything uh, to you in any meaningful way. Or there's probably a certain group of you who would be like, I don't do this. This is not something that I do, except I confess to God right? When I, when I feel like I need to. And then maybe a priest, if I grew up with it, but he's behind a curtain or a wall and he's legally obligated not to tell anybody else about this. Those, those are the parameters in which I do that. And that was a construction of the church to be able to kind of take this verse and actually do it in practical ways, which is, I, I get it. I understand why it happened. I just don't agree with the methodology. But when is the last time that you did something like this? When was the last time you were in an environment where you felt safe enough to do this? When was the last time you were in a group of people who knew you, loved you, and cared enough about you, and you knew that at the core of your being, where you could switch the conversation towards, hey, can I just talk about something that's like broken inside of me that, I, that, that's happening? Um, and I, I just need some, I, I just need some, and then he goes on to this, pray, and the prayer of, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is saying, you need to find your people and your people will look like this. When you come to them with something that's like broken about you, they don't laugh at you. They don't mock you. They don't think differently of you. What they do is they begin to pray for you. Can we pray about this? Can we just translate? Now, listen, not all the time. Don't be that person, right? Okay. The, like, I, I understand, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to probably guide more of these conversations than this and then I can feel comfortable doing so. But when, we, when I get together with, our, with my men's group on Wednesday mornings, it's not like every week we do this, but every once in a while you can see there's something going on, there's a burden, there's a, there's a thing and somebody go, hey, I just got something I need to say and I just need some help, I just need some, some of this, there's some stuff going on in my life. And we don't offer advice, we don't say, well, let me, let me do this. We just say, can I pray with you about that? Can, can I, and, and, and a lot of times in those prayers, it's just, it's just presenting our request to God. It's, it's again, talking through this, not trying to solve things for, let me, let me fit, jump in here and fix it. Let me have a conversation with her. We'll fix it. We'll get this done. I know a guy, I know a guy, I know a guy. No, no, no. It's just, a lot of times it's just this confession takes place. I resonate with it and I pray with it. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's these transformational moments, which is what the church is supposed to be, right? And again, this kind of stuff, we say, well, let's, let, how do we do this? We're not, this doesn't work in an environment like this that we currently do, but this isn't all of the church. This is a version. This is part of what the church does. But right now you're in rows facing forward. Confession of your sins to each other doesn't happen great in rows when you're facing forward. It happens in face-to-face -face sort of things. 
And it doesn't even have to take place in a physical building or with the Eastlake stamp attached to it. You went to an Eastlake approved group. Now we can do this. Now this is covered. This is just you finding your people. Do you have people in your life that you could steer the conversation if needed, not every time. Again, please don't be that person. If needed and when needed towards the thing where it'd be like, can I just be, I feel like this is a safe place. I'm in a bit of a mess here. And I would love for you not to fix it. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need more people to fix my problems. But just to hear me out, perhaps to pray with me, because I think the prayer is effective and personal. Listen, when this kind of stuff happens, when this kind of vulnerability is expressed, it is, uh, it's addictive. It's, it's great. It's like you feel a sense of community. You feel like something's there. I, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, we, and we've made a commitment to be, always be in uh, finding our people at all times, right? No matter if we were doing church or not doing it. If, we were, if we weren't in ministry, we would still be doing life with people. Uh, and we have, we have people. We have our group. We have our people who we do life with, share life with, um, and so many times in the, in, in those honest moments, um, especially early on when a group is first getting started, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be like going around the circle and the first person is, how's things going? How you doing really? Right. And they share a little bit of something. It's a little bit, but it's not a lot. And second person, it's a little bit, not a lot. And third person, you can tell it's a couple and they just, they just like look at each other and they, are we going to do this? Are we going to tell them if this is good? And then they just barf all over you with all kinds of stuff. And you're like, oh man, this is just messy. All right, right? But there's a vulnerability there. And we see and we hear. We say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Can we pray about it? Can we talk about this? Can we, can we keep checking in with you? Is that okay if we do this kind of thing? I'm telling you, there, there's like, there's not a dry eye usually. There's, there's like, there's a realness to this. You think there's authentic. And then the fact that, that, that they really truly believe when it works well, that you don't think anything differently about them. You're, you're sad for them, but you don't think anything. There's, there's not something that you think worse of them about. And all of a sudden, when that, when that sort of safety, when the, that safety and vulnerability is expressed and experienced, and what happens a lot of times is the people who went first go, hey, we need to go again. Because we kind of like left some stuff out. Because <laughs> we have our own stuff that we need to talk about. That kind of vulnerability is key resolving to find your people. Paul would write about it in Galatians. He would write to a church in Galatia, which was kind of a region area. And so he would say, this is kind of for all churches or it's a very sort of general letter a little bit. But in, in chapter six, verse one, this is right after he gets done, by the way, talking about the, the, the fruits of the spirit. A life lived by the spirit is, is one where the fruits, the things that come naturally, the things that blossom from your life are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As soon as he, in like the same breath from that, he would go into this phrase. And here's what he says, brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in sin, it's gonna go on in a second, but I wanna stop here for a second because what do we do when we find out, when we say, when we find out a brother or sister is caught in a sin? What is our typical response? It's usually something like this. You hear so-and-so is caught in sin? Yeah, sucks, huh? Pray for him, all right? I gotta go. Hey, you hear so-and-so's caught in sin? Yeah, pray for him if you can. Okay, thanks, Mike. You know, that's what we do, right? We, we, it's so weird and, and ah, they don't write books about it, but we, 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 we read about it, we hear about it, we talk about it, we do this thing sort of thing. We, we almost mini celebrate it in, in, in a way because it, from a weird comparison thing makes us feel like our problems aren't as bad uh, with something like this. We do all the things that we wish they would, wouldn't do for us. And the way of Jesus is not just love people uh, because they loved you first, but what does he say? He says, love people in the way that you would want to be loved. Do for them what you wish they would do for you. 
Choose the pathway of love. What does love look like in this? It looks like not celebrating them in their failure, not talking about this. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, he goes on. Who lives by the Spirit? Those people he just said, who, whose lives are characterized by love, love joy, peace, patience, kind, all, all, and all their friends. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Restore that person. Speak life into them. Speak truth to them, but do it in a way that is caring, gently. Realize they're fragile in these seasons of life. Everything you say is gonna be taken a certain way. It's gonna be, they're gonna proceed, they might push you back at first, they might be hurtful, it might be this, but restore that person gently. In verse two, carry each other's burden. He goes on, he's not done. Carry each other's burden, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That word carry each other's burden is, is uh, like the, the, the language is like get underneath each other's burden. You can see that they're carrying a heavy load. Instead of taking it from them, get underneath with them and lighten that load. Don't take it from them and solve their problems for them, but get underneath and feel the weight. And perhaps when you feel that way, it lightens that burden a little bit for them in the process. You're lightening their burden a little more. It's still there. It's still present. You're not doing anything to solve it. You're just lightening it for them. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the assumption is that these people know each other's burdens, right? How do they know each other's burdens? Because of the vulnerability and the openness and the willingness to be able to share, the relationship that is required, the groundwork that's involved in having your people who are willing to actually say, hey, this feels like a safe place. I'm a bit of a mess. Can we talk about it? That only comes when you find your people. Finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The author of Hebrews, kind of an unknown, unestablished person, but a sermon really, it looks, it feels like and reads like an early church sermon that was so good, it just kind of passed around to different churches to say, if you read this, this is really good. A lot of it is about the Christology of Jesus or who Jesus was in, in relation to some of the Jewish systems. But in this part, he says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider this. Let us fix our attention on this. Let us think about or dwell upon this idea. How is it that I can spur somebody on towards love and good, good deeds? How can I spur them? And that's that imagery of the spur in, on, on the back of a heel kicking into the side of a horse to spur them on, to get them, make them uncomfortable, but spur them on towards love and good deeds. Again, these, as I mentioned, the church would meet on Sunday mornings early. They would gather together. They would share stories with one another, share a meal together, and they would spur one another towards righteous living, toward having their life reflect a difference made because they were dedicated and resolved to live in the way of Jesus. And he goes on, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Meaning this, there's something important about the physical presence of this. That it's not just information, but it's application. Listen, you have no shortage of information in your life. I have no shortage of information in my life. You in your pocket right now have a computer that is faster and, more and better than like almost any computer 20 years ago that existed even in like a national mainframe sort of thing, right? You have access to anything in the world we have no problems with access of content. In fact, for those of you watching online right now, like the, the accessibility of even a sermon or a talk like this 
is something that's been kind of like the pandemic even shaped this to where we are like, we have to do this. We have to be accessible both in person and online. And, and, and it's great. And I love it. And I feel like it's a good resource for a lot of people, but I just, but I, 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 I do fear and I do hesitate sometimes because I don't want to fall into the, the, the idea that the church is simply a good content producer, that we produce enough content for you to think about. Listen, Sundays, this sort of environment is about content. I'm trying to give you something to think on, chew on, but for the purpose that you work this out in community, not just with yourself, but with those that you live with, those that you do life with, with friends, with a small group perhaps, or with somebody, with your people, that you would say, yes, that thought was good. What do I do about this? Help me interpret this for myself. Help me think through the grid of my life and how this thing plays out. Content consumption is no substitute for community. We have access to all kinds of all of the content that we can possibly handle. So we see this represented in the New Testament. We feel like there's a, a, a an imperative, a a call, a mandate to find our people, to not give up meeting together, to spur one another on, to carry each other's burdens, to confess our sins to one another, to grow, to challenge, to be vulnerable, to to accept in spite of the mess, to not think differently as a result of it, all of those things. What's at stake? What's it cost? What, what happens if we don't get this right? What happens if we miss this? What happens if we say, this isn't worth resolving to do. This is just a good, I'm gonna try it for a while. I'm gonna have a resolution for it, but I'm not gonna resolve it. If it costs me too much and becomes too inconvenient, then I'll like give it a pass. The problem with that is that when we don't have our people, we oftentimes fall into a trap or fall into something else that we are not sometimes fully aware of. And I think that we've seen this in the past couple of years. Um, psychiatrists say that the, the, the biggest problem that we have or the hardest thing to cure is a patient's attempt to self-cure. When, when psychiatrists meet with people and they go, and, and they meet with people and they go, I know, I know what's wrong with me. I'll figure it out. I got, I got, I got it. And they self-cure, uh, then that, that's, that's an issue because and in, in, when it comes to this sort of thing, when it comes to sort of loneliness or not having people, we try and cure it with ways that are natural for us to be able to do, right? So people who are left naked and alone by radical individualism do what their genes and their ancient history of their species tell them to do, which is revert to tribe or tribalism. I go towards people who look like me, talk like me, act like me, think like me, my people. I go to these, these things. When I, when I find myself without community, I get all kind of divided up into tribalism. When Hannah Arendt looked into the lives of people who had become political fanatics, she found a couple of things, this loneliness and spiritual emptiness. And she said that the loneliness is the common ground of terror. When people look to cause terror, cause panic, cause mayhem in people's life, oftentimes it comes from a root of loneliness. I don't have community. I don't have anybody who's holding me accountable. Like the, these ABCs of, 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 of community, which is basically uh, acceptance and belonging and care. Acceptance or accountability, belonging and care. When I, when I don't have these, when I'm lacking these things, then I find myself lashing out in ways that are uncharacteristic perhaps of me or whatever, but loneliness and spiritual emptiness. She would go on to say, tribalists seek out easy categories in which some people are good and others are bad, right? A very us versus them mentality. And have we not seen the rise of this? Have we not seen how a couple of years ago, due to you know, things outside of our control, we were separated from people, got pulled out of community a lot of times? Um, 
And, and then all of a sudden we saw very much a di- like a divisiveness between an us versus them, whether it's, you know, Democrats, Republicans or something. It's, 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 uh, it's opposite. That's those are the crazy ones, These, but we're fine. Right. They seek out certainty to conquer their feelings of unbearable doubt. They seek out war, political war, actual war as a way to give life meaning. Um, it's only meaningful when I have something to fight against or be against. I'm not known what I'm, I, I, I'm not known best for what I'm known for, for what I'm about or what I'm for. I define myself as to what I'm against. That's tribalism in, in a way. Tribalism, uh, David Brooks would say, is the dark twin of community. Community is connection based on mutual affection, right? What we see, community written out in terms of the New Testament authors and the apostles in that way, mutual affection. I'm humble enough to know that I'm broken and that we're all broken together. Mutual affection for you is we're all trying to get better at, we're trying to mind our gaps, help you mind yours, carry your burdens, encourage one another, spur one another towards love and good deeds. Community is connection based on mutual affection. Tribalism is based on mutual hatred. You hate them, I hate them too. We should be friends. We hate them. We both hate them together. Let's get in the same group. Let's listen to the same chat rooms. Let's let's listen to the same podcasts. Let's read the same books. Let's get all together against what we're... Can we not agree that they're terrible? Us versus them in this way, right? Community is based on common humanity, tribalism on a common foe. Tribalism is community for lonely Narcissists. Oof. Youch. Tribalism is community for lonely narcissists. Why is this so important? Why, why does finding your people requ- require resolve or deserve resolve in your life? Deserve for you to say, listen, this time around, I need to find my people. Because if you don't, we have a tendency to, to, to grow inward on ourselves, to make our, ourselves the hero of our own story, to resort to uh, lonely narcissism, which leads to all kinds of tribalism and us versus them. And, and you've seen this. You've had friends who've fallen off the radar, right, in the last couple of years, and it's become so politically motivated, so, so this, and you've unfriended, and you've unfollowed, and you'll be like, I just can't, ugh, I, I struggle with that. And it's sad to hear, but it, often at the root of cause of it is this idea of loneliness and spiritual emptiness, like this lack of belonging in this way. And, and, and that's not to say there's no hope for them and that you shouldn't be a part of helping them achieve community again. But, um, and, and that'd be a good thing to kind of fight for and work for, to be like, hey, listen, I love you and accept you and, and you're a mess, but I'm a mess too. So like, we can do this, man. There's, I don't have to be against the same things that you're against to be for you. I'm for you. I'm not necessarily against what you're against, but we have a common humanity in this way. Listen, that's powerful stuff. That's the power. That's the good. That's the, not the evil twin. That's the good twin, as Brooks would say, of community. That's the power of community. And you deserve it for yourself. I want it for you. I really want it for you. I want it for me. That's why I need to, you need to resolve to find my people. Not to mention, on the good side of it, I just spent a couple minutes saying, you need to do this or else, right? But here's, here's the good side of it. You've never heard a story of transformation without other people involved in that story, right? We grow a lot of different ways, but one of the major ways that we grow in our faith is through providential relationships. Something happened, somebody showed up in our life. You, you went to AA and found somebody, and then I met, and then I met somebody, and they were my sponsor. My gosh, it changed my life. And then somebody moved into the neighborhood, or then I, then, I, then I met this, or then I went to this church and I met so-and-so, and it's just been like, like a light bulb went on. I started showing up for this coffee group, and we started reading the Bible together or something like that. It's, it's people. For so many of us, it's people. It's people. It's people. It's providential relationships that shape our life. It's community. 
It's a vulnerability. It's an authenticity. It's an honesty about who I am. And they accepted me anyways. And we grew in that. Listen, again, it's not going to happen in here on, on, in this sort of setting. It's not even supposed to. Life change happens face-to-face, not facing forward. Here we offer present you know, ideas, offer insight, inspiring actions. We're the spark, the excuse to start a conversation about it. The excuse to start a conversation. That's what this is. Don't judge the church because I'm not achieving that here. Listen, you have to resolve to figure this out. You got to find this out. I want to do my part. I want to create a marketplace, right? We, we have these ideas that are like facilitate and help grow and help advertise and help recruit and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But you got to resolve to want to do this. Whether Brent, you can help me if you want or not, I don't care. I'm resolving to make this thing happen. It would be great if you're, you know, the church was a resource to help me get there, but I'm resolving to finding my people. And Kylie and I have made it probably, you know, like a, uh, a big piece, not only of us actively in, engaged in this for ourselves, but trying to do this for other people. We invite people over for dinner, right? And we'll have them all like four or five couples and we'll be like all doing dinner together and be like, ah, this is fun, right? You guys could do this. This could, this could be you. You could be a part of doing this. You could have a, a dinner club thing. You could, be, you could be in community with one another if you wanted to long-term. For those of you who got invited over for a dinner recently, you're like, I knew there was an agenda. I knew you were doing something there. I get it. That's it. That's, that's, that's truth. I want to be able to provide a spark to be able to make these kind of things happen. I think the church on Sunday mornings can be that spark, right? My wife and I are doing this like app thing right now that is called Paired and it's supposed to be like this. And I'm not trying, it's not a, it's not a commercial. I don't get like a free month of service if you sign up or anything like that. But um, it's, uh, it's a way of, of for us, we, have made, we, we are resolving to make this relationship a priority, right? To, um, to make this thing work. And this, this thing asks questions and it's, it's a systematic way of pointing me towards thinking about her throughout the day. Through a, what kind of movies are we like? What kind of shopping is she doing? What are we, all kinds of different things. Questions, prodding, little, little pokes, little reminders, little nudges towards the right thing. Why? And I resolve that this, this means enough to me to install this thing on my phone, to allow notifications. I allow notifications for nothing, you guys. This has notifications, like one of the only things that buzzes through for me. Why? Because I resolved to make this thing, to make this happen, to fight for this, fight for our marriage, right? All right, in that same way, you, I, we need community. We need people. You need to resolve. We need to resolve. I need to resolve to fight, to find my people. I want to do my part to help you do it. But really, what, you need to have the attitude of whether you do or not, Brent, I'm, it's, it's happening. I'm figuring this thing out. It might cost me Money, time, whatever, but it's happening. I'm finding my people because it's just not worth it not to do it. Last thing I want to leave you with is a uh, poem thing by W.H. Auden called the, In the Age of Anxiety, the Age of Anxiety. He says this in, in, the, in describing kind of human nature and our resistance to this, our like, I'm not ready to like let this thing go. I'm just like, I don't like being vulnerable. I just like doing my thing, man. I don't need people, right? We would rather be ruined than change. We'd rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. The illusions that we live with, that we're okay. Things are okay. We can keep going. We can manage this. We can keep posting, you know, doing things to keep, to keep the image alive, right? Instead of engaging in a real, genuine, honest community, being like, I'm open, vulnerable, here's my mess, and growing from it instead. So my encouragement to you, resolve to find your people. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would help us see this for ourselves, recognize it, help us to be a church that facilitates this well, help us to be uh, leaders in, in, in our community in this, help people in our families to see us 
living lives with our people and them to be inspired to do the same thing for them because of the health that it brings. And that health is because you created us in this way, because you love us in this way. So when we do this and we feel and we resonate with it, it only opens up a new facet of your love for us. So give us the wisdom to know what to do, courage to do it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.